You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. All right. Book of Jonah, you ready? Jonah chapter 1. You uh, will find this book nestled between Obadiah and Micah in the Old Testament. Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Some of you are like, Jonah, I've never heard of that book before. It's Old Testament. So you can look in your concordance. You can find where it is. Some of you are like, we're in the Old Testament. Isn't the Old Testament kind of like an old iPhone? Once it's done, you get the new one, you leave it behind, you got a new version now. It's not, actually. The Old Testament is just as important for us today as the New Testament. We need them both to know the full power of God is as relevant for us today as the stories in the New Testament and the stories that Jesus brought. We need both the Old and the New Testaments to bring to us a complete understanding of who God is and how we relate to God. And so we are going to study together for the next four weeks the book of Jonah. What do you think of when you hear the word Jonah? What Instinctively, whether you've been in Sunday school or not, what do you think of when you hear the word Jonah? Whale. I want to tell you today that the story of Jonah is not about a whale at all. Just blow that right out of the water. The story about Jonah is about a God who pursues his people. We get so caught up in the debate. Is this fact? Is this fiction? Did it really happen? Did the whale happen? Yes, it is true, but we're missing the bigger picture. The bigger picture of Jonah is this. We have a God who has a character and a heart that pursues his people and who longs to reveal himself to the people of the world that they might turn from their sins and turn to his saving grace. There's so much for us to learn in the book of Jonah. Sinclair Ferguson tells us that the book of Jonah really brings us face to face with such important issues as these. God's grace for the wicked, God's sovereignty over his servants, and the intense human struggle involved with forgiveness and repentance. And so while the book of Jonah might be small, just 48 verses and minuscule in length, it is actually magnificent in impact. This is a book that could change our lives if we really grab a hold of who God is and what God wants to show us through it. So to give you a little context for the book of Jonah, we have to understand where we're coming from as we study new books. And so we don't just dive in missing the whole story around Jonah. Let me go back a little bit and give you some some of the ways that... God has helped us understand who Jonah was and what he was all about before we get into the text. Jonah is a prophetic book. It's the fifth minor prophet that takes a deep look at the life of Jonah. Most prophets take a look at their message. Jonah is actually looking at the life of the prophet. The title thus is Jonah. It makes sense, right? The book of Jonah is about Jonah. And so who wrote Jonah? We're not really sure who wrote Jonah. No name has been attributed to Jonah. Some think that Jonah, many contend that Jonah wrote Jonah. It makes that, that makes some sense, seeing as, as he would be the one that knows the details of this. Others, many others would say Jonah didn't write this at all, because who would write a biography of themselves and paint themselves in such a negative light? That makes sense to me as well. Jonah, the idiot prophet by Jonah. Jonah, the world's most inept prophet by Jonah. You know, I think what probably happened was Jonah, maybe in a conference of prophets later on after this whole thing happened, was sitting around a campfire one day. He's like, hey, guys, they ever tell you the story about when? No, the prophet's like, really? you got to write that down. He's like, I'm not writing that down. So one of the other guys is like, fine, then I'll write it down. He had all the details of what happened from Jonah, and that's how we got it. Ultimately, we don't know. One or the other, it doesn't really matter. 
doesn't make a bearing on whether this book is true or not. Who wrote the book? We know in the Old Testament, Jonah was a real man. We know in the New Testament, Jesus referred to Jonah as a actual living person. In the Old Testament, in Second um, Kings chapter 14, we see Jonah as an active part of the Old Testament narrative. Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 to 41, Jesus himself says that Jonah was a living, real person that came before him. So who is Jonah then? Jonah is a prophet of God, the son of Amittai, as we learn in verse 1. Amittai means true to God. He was a prophet trying to serve the Lord. He served in the time of King Jeroboam II, one of the many wicked kings of the northern kingdom of Israel. So the way it all went down, the northern, remember in Israel's history, there was a, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, northern kingdom, ten tribes, southern kingdom, two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, uh, making their home in Jerusalem and, and, and remaining true to the Davidic throne in, in Jerusalem. So, so Jonah prophesied in the northern kingdom, in the really a kingdom defined by wickedness. And it was a kingdom that was constantly in turmoil. It was a kingdom that was rebellious almost every step of the way. They were always turning to idols. They were always trying to stage a military coup against King God. Not only that, they were not just rebelling against God constantly. They were always constantly under the, the threat of Assyrian, the superpower that the Assyrians were always just a little bit to the north coming down and, and coming after them. So they were always trying to defend themselves and protect themselves and kind of like Israel today, right? Always trying to maintain their boundaries and their borders and there's always controversy, always... It was a place of turmoil. This is, where, this is where Jonah finds himself trying to be a servant of the Lord about 150 years after Solomon lived. And in this context, the role of Jonah as a prophet was twofold. Here's what Jonah's task was by God. One, warn his people of their sin. Guys, really? You've turned from God again? Stop it or else! But that wasn't, the only, that wasn't the only call of a prophet. The other call of the prophet was to remind the people of the overwhelming grace of God. To remind their, the people that even though they were so quick to turn from God, God's a covenant-keeping God. And even when they turned from God, God would never turn his back on them. That was also the role of a prophet. Even though you don't deserve God's blessing, they'd bring the message of blessing. That's actually the context we see Jonah referred to at in 2 Kings. We see Jonah bringing a message to the people. Hey, the Assyrians are going through a hard time. There's, there's famine. They've kind of fallen away from the superpower. And so God has, by his grace, restored some of your boundaries and allowed you to take back some of the territory, not because you're good, but because God is gracious. That's pretty cool, eh? Like, we would all be like, I want to give the message of grace. So Jonah had the call to repent call to repentance, the call to give grace. And so you'd think that this prophet would be one who's like front row seat to seeing God. Like, God, why are you blessing your people? Why are you doing this? They don't deserve it. But yet God's like, Jonah, I'm a God of grace. Remember? So front row seat to God's grace. You'd think that Jonah would be the prophet running out going like, man, God is so merciful. God is so gracious. I just have to share this message with everybody that I see and know. Can't wait to be on mission to share the message of grace. And yet we learn in book of Jonah, that Jonah wasn't like that at all. Jonah, although he had all the experience and all the knowledge, he still needed some, a lot of time in God's classroom learning about God's grace. And so here's where we pick up the story. Jonah is doing his thing, proclaiming the grace to the Israelites, but fully missing out on the fact that God 
God's all-consuming grace was not just for his people. God was going to bestow his grace upon the whole world. Uh, No idea that the love and mercy of God was not just for the Israelites. It was also for the Gentiles. Limited view of God's grace. And so he's doing his prophecy thing. We don't know what he was doing. But one day, the word of the Lord, as it says here in Jonah chapter 1.1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, follow with me, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. So we see in essence here is God's like, hey, my prophet, I got another mission for you. This is an important one. This is a great one. Are you up for it? What's the mission? It's go to Nineveh, the great city, and tell them that they've sinned against me. But the other side of that, which we're going to see later on in the chapter, is that if they turn from me, they will receive God's mercy. It's a pretty cool mission, don't you think? Sort of like what happened in, the whole context is sort of like what happened in, in uh, Mission Impossible. Remember Mission Impossible? The second one where Tom Cruise, Ethan Hunt is climbing up the Grand Canyon and he conquers the Grand Canyon with one hand, you know, behind his back. Gets to the top and all of a sudden the helicopter comes up with the guys in the glasses and the suits and all of a sudden they're like, fire this little thing down and inside this little, uh, whatever it is that came down as the sunglasses pop up, he puts them on like, this is your mission. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. Remember that? So what's happening here with Jonah, and, and God is like, hey, Jonah, like, you weren't expecting this, you weren't looking for this, but I have a mission for you that is going to impact people's lives, possibly for all of eternity. And for Jonah, this was mission impossible. This wasn't a like, yay, little click your heels like Mary Poppins, let's get after it. This is mission impossible. He wasn't called to save the world, but guess what he was called to? He was called to, this is why I told you the history of this, he was called to go to the capital of the Assyrian nation and tell them that they're sinning and they need to turn to God. He was called to go to the very people that he hated the most that he felt least deserved it, warn them of their sin, God with the desire that they would turn from their sin and turn to him. The Assyrians were not a good bunch, not just to the Israelites. They were notoriously known, known for being a ruthless people with no moral compass or heart. What they were famous for is, is flailing their enemies and making heaps out of their skull. And God's saying to Jonah, Jonah, go. Not with like a singing telegram, you know. But with a song of sin and salvation. Don't turn to God. He's going to destroy you. But turn to God and you find mercy. Already in this verse, this first verse of Jonah, we see the nature of God. God is a pursuing God. God is a God who goes after those that are far from him. God pursues us for his purposes to also be a part of his plan in helping other people see the glory of God. See, God cannot turn a blind eye to sin. Like a good judge cannot turn a blind eye to the guilty and evil, so a righteous God cannot ignore wickedness. God is active and he takes sin seriously, but he also takes seriously the opportunity for redemption. This is Jonah's mission. This sets up the whole book. This is what we're going to see unfold before us. Jonah's mission is to take the message to the Ninevites 
the great city of Nineveh. What's the great city mean? It's not like great as like, ooh, awesome city. It's great as it was a big city. It was the capital of the Assyrians. It's also great in the fact of this. It was great in its sin. It was great in its wickedness and immorality. Here's Jonah's call to take this message of a God who is morally righteous and good. How do you think that's going to go over? It's quite a mission, don't you think? That's quite a purpose for Jonah. A little bit scary? A little bit scary? If you were Jonah, would you be a little bit scared? I'd be ridiculously scared. And as I read this, I can't get past this. In the first two verses, I can't get past this, that it's not just Jonah who's called to this mission in this world. We can sit back and be like, oh, good for Jonah. Hope he does well. Let's see what happens. But if you're a believer here today, God has called us to be on the exact same mission. He's called Jonah to be on, to take the message of a God who hates sin and offers salvation to the world around us, even to some of the darkest places, the most desperate places we know, to places that we even think shouldn't or wouldn't deserve it. Really, the call of every believer is to be available to the purposes of God for the mission of God. God's call on our lives is just as intense. What does God call us to as believers? God calls us to his mission, a divine call to love him, to follow him, and be submissive to him in obedience and available for whatever he decides for our lives, no matter what that might be or where that might be or when that might be. Do you realize this, that God doesn't call us to be comfortable? He, doesn't, he didn't send his son from heaven to earth to encounter and endure all that he did just for us to be cozy and comfortable in our little realm of Christian bubble salvation. Do you realize that? He's called us for a much higher purpose than we could ever come up with in our own minds, than we could ever devise for ourselves. He called us and he's made us his own. Yes, to love him. Yes, to have a relationship and worship him. But also, also to be on mission to tell the world that there is a God out there that pursues them and loves them. And to call people to turn from their sin and turn to Jesus. First Timothy 2.3 tells us this. Here's what God desires for all people. For all people to come to a knowledge of him. And you know who he wants to use in his pursuit of people? He wants to use us. You and I. It's impossible to be called by God and not called to mission in God. If you're called to salvation, you're called to mission. The two just simply go hand in hand. And we see this in Jonah's life. What's Jonah's call as a prophet? His call is to be ready and available for the purposes of God whenever, however it's going to look like. Same thing God calls us to. And the moment God calls us, the moment we realize this is the moment we need to respond. Jonah responds, but in a way that we wouldn't expect from a God-anointed prophet, a man who has dedicated his life to the Lord. Look how Jonah responds. I think many of us, including myself, can relate to this. Jonah's got the mission. Question is, is he going to fulfill the mission? We have our mission, right? We have our mission. Let's take the message of the gospel to the world. That's our mission. Question is, are we going to fulfill our mission? Look what Jonah does. Verse 3. But... You know what comes after a but, right? When you have, here's the mission, it looks really, here's what God calls. If there's a but, that generally means what? He's not going to do it, right? But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. 
He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah responds, all right, but he responds in a completely unfathomable way. Instead of running towards the mission God calls him to, he runs away from God. But what is, happens in the process? We're seeing Jonah's true heart for the Lord. Get this, God calls us for a purpose. God has a purpose for our lives far better than we could ever picture. But our response to God's purpose reveals my heart for God. My response to God reveals my heart for God. You see it so clearly in chapter 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Instead of packing his bags in excitement, anticipation, oh man, what's God going to do? I've seen God's grace and mercy so alive and so real in the past. What's he going to do this time? What's he going to do this time? You know what he does? He grabs the necessities. He runs exactly the opposite direction. You have to understand the whole makeup of the land here to get the full significance of what's happening here in Jonah's story. Why does it say Tarshish three times in one verse? It's a little overkill, don't you think? Tarshish, we get it. God's trying to show us that that it's actually significant that he's going to Tarshish. And why does it say he's trying to flee the presence of God twice? Because that's exactly what Jonah's trying to do. He, He... I think he's one of those guys that wants God. He wants all the glories of God, but he doesn't really want to be available to God for whatever God wants. So Jonah's down here around Joppa. Nineveh is only 550 miles, a little bit to the east and to the north. He's on a boat before he can say, get on a boat to Tarshish, 2,500 miles the other way. thinking that somehow the further he gets from God's mission, the further he's going to get from God, then he can do his own thing and be the guy he wants to be. Crazy. When it says here that he went down, see it says here he went down, he went down to Joppa and found a ship. You know, went down, many commentators say it's really a euphemism for death. He went down. Do you know to ever run from God is like spiritual death? Where does he go? He goes to Joppa. What's significant about Joppa? It's not an Israelite port. This is a place where he's going to have no questions asked. No one's going to say, hey, Jonah, weren't you at the you know, seminar? And, where are you going, man? Like, he's going to a place where he's going to be kind of, no one's going to know him. Then he's going to go to Tarshish. Tarshish isn't just 2,500 miles away. Tarshish is a place where Isaiah 66 tells us they never heard of God nor knew his fame or glory. He's trying to seclude himself from all things God so he can get away from any conviction or anyone coming alongside and saying, what are you doing, man? I read this and I'm like, shouldn't this guy know better? Away from the presence of God? Like, to Tarshish, like, what's he thinking? You not know, think that as you read this? What's he thinking? What would motivate somebody to run from God instead of run to God? Well, I don't know about you, but I can sure put myself in Jonah's place in a lot of instances in life. Can you? Where you know what God wants you to do and how God wants you to do it, and yet there's this temptation to what? To run from God instead of fulfilling what God has designed for your life. Why does Jonah do that? Why do we do that? I think there's four things I thought about as I read this passage. Like, what in the world would cause him to get on a boat for Tarshish when he's heading for Joppa? Number one is this, fear. Put yourself in Jonah's place. Fear. You're calling me to do what? Fear of man, fear of consequences. What are they going to do to me? What are people in my own land going to think? I don't know if I can do this, God. I'm just plain scared. Fear of maybe God's 
Maybe God's going to lead me in a direction that I'm going to be worse off. Maybe God's not going to come through for me in the clutch. Fear might have been a motivator for him, just like it is us when we see the commands of God that God calls us to. What's another one? What about arrogance? Many commentators say it was, they think it was just plain arrogance that Jonah ran from God. He was just one of these guys that's like, you know what? Like, God's for, for us. He's for Israel. We don't want to share him with somebody else. They don't deserve it. We deserve God. We want his blessing. We want anyone else to have blessing. What if, what if they respond and they get some power back and take us out? Like, God, you're for us, not them. He's kind of a spiritually self-righteous guy. It's arrogant. Maybe that's what caused him to run. Maybe just plain rebellion. Hard heart, just like, you know what? I know what God wants, but I'm just not going to do it. I know it. I see it, but I want to do my own thing. I'm not going there, God. Or maybe it was simply this, just plain stupidity. Have you not been there before? We can relate, right? The emotions take over and the brain turns off. You're like, oh, I'm just going to run. Don't think anything through. Don't stop to consider consequences. Just react foolishly. Maybe, maybe it was one of those things. We, we ultimately don't know, but we do know this. Whatever it is that's causing, maybe it's a bunch of these things. Maybe it's all and put together in a nice little tiny ball of what? Sin. Jonah is sinning against the Lord somehow in serving God as his chosen prophet. Jonah was missing the heart of God. Man, God's way is just way too hard. God's way is just too uncomfortable, too intimidating. It's too not what I want to do. In the process, he's so close to missing out on God's purposes and missing out on God's blessings and missing out on God's presence. And man, we look like, why would you want to miss out on God's presence? We know that's the only thing that distinguishes us from the rest of the people on this earth. We read in Exodus 33, right? And yet as we see Jonah's heart to God, I think this is one prophet that we can all relate with. I'm not ashamed to say, because I know my own sinfulness as your pastor, that I can relate to this guy. I can relate. How many times have we opened up the Bible and, and seen God's call on us to, to, to share the gospel, and yet we just refuse to do it? We don't physically run. We'd be here this morning, and we're sitting here. We're like, I'm here, pastor. Yeah, we don't physically run, but we run from every opportunity God gives us to share the life-changing truth of Jesus. Because of one of these things, fear or arrogance or uh, rebellion or stupidity. How many of us know that we have a call in this life to love the loathable, but we just choose, we just choose. God, I know that if I love them, they might see your grace, and they're going to have to be my friend. And how many of us choose to walk the other way? How many of us choose to... Run from God when we have an opportunity to extend his forgiveness to a foe. Man, we've been forgiven so much it makes my mind blow. And yet God gives us this call to forgive others. And we're just holding on in our hearts. I'm not going to forgive. I'm not going to forgive. In essence, running for Tarshish instead of heading for Nineveh. Maybe there's some people even running here today. In body, you're here, but in spirit, you're running. You know that God wants your whole heart. You know he wants your entire life, and, and you're just determined not to go there. Maybe you want God on your side, but really, this is not really about, this whole life thing's been about you, and you want God on your side, but you're truly unwilling to love him and follow him and lead him and, and follow where he leads and do what he says. 
Maybe for some of us, as we know that God's put a clear call in our lives to pursue righteousness, and we're just choosing to live in our sin instead of pursue righteousness. We're running from it, and every time the Bible passage comes up that says what I know I should do that I don't agree with, I just skip over that one and get, one to, one, get to one that I like so I can... Oh, I just love those ones that make me feel good, right? Maybe for some, it's even a call, like simply a call to baptism. You know you should be baptized. You know you're supposed to follow the Lord in the waters of baptism. And you're, you're ignoring that, and you're, and you're really you're, 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 you're running from the presence of God. Maybe for others, it's simple things like offering your money and your possessions for his purposes. God's given you so much, so much, so much. And he said, use it for my purposes. Use it for my purposes. You're like, no way, man. No way, man. I'll do anything else, but I'm not using this for your purposes. Maybe it's, maybe it's something you know in your heart that I have no idea that God's speaking to you about right now. And God's prompting you. That's the Holy Spirit. It's not the preacher. God's prompting you. He's saying, hey, hey, hey. Before you look down on Jonah, you, you're, you're a good runner yourself. You're a good runner yourself. good news is for Jonah that we have a God who in his grace points out some of the truths we need to hear. Why? Because he pursues us. He pursues us. And he loves us that much that he won't let us run away for long. If you're a child of God, he won't let you run away for long and pursue your own purposes and your own devices. He will come after you and do whatever it takes to get you back on his page to fulfill his plans for your life. That's what we see in the rest of this chapter of Jonah. We're looking at Jonah right now. We're like, guy, like, what are you thinking? If you're at, I spent a lot of time thinking about verses one to three because I'm like, it just, it's just a step. What are you thinking, Jonah? Running from God? Really? It's like trying to run from a cheetah. It's trying to overpower the king of the jungle. Like, there's nowhere you can flee from the presence of God. And yet in our own human sinfulness, we somehow think that we can still do it. You know, God wants you to know if you're running in some way, shape, or form today. God wants you to know that even as you run, he is going to pursue you. He is going to chase after you. Just like he was making the first step and getting to Nineveh, he's going to pursue you because he loves you, because he won't let you run for long so that you make a mess of your life and miss out on his plan and his purposes for you. That's what we see in the rest of this chapter. We see that, that, that God wants to show his greatness in our lives and he's going to do it whether we accept it or not. And one commentator says this, when God gives the most difficult commands, he typically intends the most marvelous acts of deliverance and salvation. That's what we're going to see in Jonah's life in the lives of the Ninevites and a few others along the way. Point number three I want you to write down is simply this. My God will go to extensive lengths to keep me close. My God will go to extensive lengths to keep me close. The most important words in this whole chapter are the first three words of verse 4. Let's read them together. First three words of verse 4 are what? But the Lord. Look down at your Bibles. Don't take my word for this. We can do this, right? We can do this. Most important words, most significant words of this whole book, this whole chapter are these, but, but the Lord. 
but Yahweh, but the covenant-keeping God, but a God full of mercy and grace. This story is not about a runaway prophet. It's not even about a giant whale or a giant fish. This story is about a God who is a God of action, a God who can idly sit by and allow his people to skip out on his presence and his plans for their lives. Our God, brothers and sisters, our God is a pursuing God. And he's in pursuit of Jonah. And look how he pursues Jonah. Again, not the way that we think. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down, get this, into the inner part of the ship, and he's laying there fast asleep. So the captain came down and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. We don't see it yet, but it's going to become clear as we continue reading this chapter in this book. The storm wasn't a chance happening in Jonah's life in the story. The storm, the storm was a God-ordained storm, a God, God's grace to his prophet to get his attention, to get him back on path for the things of him. We see in verse 4, we don't know how much time elapsed between verse 3 and 4, but it goes right from he's on a ship away from the presence of the Lord to this, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. You know what this means? I don't think it's a whole long time between he got on the ship and they got out to sea and God came running after him. God, we're seeing a picture of God here. God does not allow us to get too far away from his presence if we're a child of God. And God will even bring the storm sometimes in our lives to get us back where we need to be. Let me say this another way. Every storm in your life is not necessarily orchestrated by the enemy. It might be orchestrated by a God who loves you, that that's the only way he's going to get your attention. Otherwise, you'd be sleeping in the bottom of the ship, peaceful and content, running away from God just like Jonah was. Isn't it amazing that Jonah was sleeping in this time? This is a storm. This isn't a, uh, this is a doozy. This isn't a little storm. These are hardened sailors that spend every day on the sea, and they're used to storms. Like, yeah, storm, bring it on. They're scared. They're terrified. They're throwing stuff over sea. Where's Jonah? In the bottom of the boat, what's he doing? He's sleeping. He doesn't give a rip about any Nineveh place. He doesn't give a rip about the sailors above him that are dying and potentially going to fall overboard. He's so consumed with himself and what he thinks that he's missing out on everything that God wants him to see and do. It's a good moment to realize this. I've heard this so often in ministry. I've heard this so often. Well, you help people see you're running from God. You're sinning. You're running from God. And they're like, you know what? I got peace about it, pastor, so it must be right. You ever heard that? Clearly, Jonah had peace. Was he right? He's so confident in his plan. It seems right. It feels right. Maybe he thinks he's going to be the first prophet to ever run from God, realizing that God's never lost a hide-and-seek game. Meanwhile, he's so steeped in his sin that he doesn't care about anybody else around him. doesn't even care about God's purposes of Sharing the gospel. Hopefully it's not a commentary on your life. I asked myself as I read, this is a commentary on my life, sleeping. There's a whole cities around me dying. Well, there's people around me that are 
in chaos that I'm sleeping? We know this, that God brings this storm because he is determined that if Jonah's sleeping, he's not going to sleep for long because God has some purposes going on for Jonah's life and those around him. He doesn't let Jonah get too far away before the storm comes, and then he uses a storm to do this, to confront Jonah with the truth of his life. God uses the storms to confront us with the truth of our lives. Oh, God wouldn't do that. God wouldn't bring a storm into my life. If you're running from God, don't be surprised if a storm comes that God can get your attention, that he'll confront you with the truth in your life. This is what's happening in Jonah's life. Look what happens in verse 7. The sailors, the, the captain comes and says, Jonah, what's going on? The sailors are calling out to their God. They're, whatever their God's name was, they're calling out. It's not just they're not getting a busy signal. They're getting like no dial tone. Like there's nothing there. Like, okay, somebody's got to have a God that answers, right? Jonah, what's going on? And so they start casting lots that they might know on whose account this evil has come upon us. Casting lots in, in the Bible times was uh, used to discern God's will, believing that God controlled the outcome, sort of like rolling a dice or like spinning a wheel or something. So they're casting lots. They're like, okay, we've got to figure this out. And so they get everyone in a circle maybe and they spin a wheel and the arrow points right to Jonah. And he's like, ugh, outed. They're all looking at him saying, well, what's the deal, man? Storm happens, sailors encircling him, confronted with the truth. Isn't that God's grace to us? He doesn't let us run for very long before he confronts us with the truth and gives us an option. Are you going to listen or are you going to not? That's what God's doing to Jonah. Confronts him with the truth. Look what Jonah says. They're like, who are you? Where are you from? Where are you going? What's your story, right? He says to them in verse 9, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord the same the same but the Lord, he says he fears the God of heaven, the Yahweh. I fear Yahweh who made the sea and the heavens and the dry land. In word he's saying it, but in action he's sure not doing it. Agreed? doesn't matter what we say. Our actions speak louder than our words. The men were exceedingly afraid and they said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of God because he told them. Don't you love how God pins him in the corner so there's no way out? Not meanly pinning him in the corner. He's doing this out of God's mercy to him. He's, he's pinning him in the corner. He's like, okay, uh, arrow's pointing at me. Like, there's something going on here. He's like, okay, here's the deal, guys. I'm running from God. I fear God. Don't you see the irony in this passage? He doesn't fear God at all at this moment in his life anyways, right? We run from God. It shows we really don't fear God. Who fears God in this, this, these few verses more than Jonah? The other sailors. They're fearing God. Why? Because they're scared. They're looking up at God going like, God, I, only you could do something. They fear God. Jonah's confronted with the truth of the reality of his heart. And you think at this point, you're like, oh man, Jonah's going to get it, Right? This is the moment where Jonah stops running. He gets on his knees. He repents. The storm stops. Maybe for some of you, this is the moment where, as you listen to this sermon, you're like, man, like, I'm running from God. I got a lot of things that, you know, as you talked a few minutes ago, God was pointing out in my life that now's a good time for you to maybe do what Jonah should have done and stop running and just say, God, like, I want your purposes for my life. They're best. They're better than mine. I, I don't know what I'm doing, but you know what you're doing with my life. Do you realize that's the most freeing and most satisfying place you can be? 
contrary to whatever you've conjured up in your mind, the most satisfying and freeing place you can be is being confronted with the truth and saying, God, I give up. I'm not going to run any longer. If that's you today, I encourage you to do that. Don't follow Jonah's example. Jonah didn't do that. You know what Jonah said? He was so hard of heart. Jonah's like, I'm outed. So they said to him, what shall we do with you? That the sea may quiet down for us. They're asking this guy what to do. For the sea, the sea was growing more and more rough, I'll say. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And you're like, Jonah, don't you see? Stop being dumb and pig-headed. But what he's saying is I'd rather die than do God's will. I'd rather do my thing and die than do God's will. Look at the guys in verse 13. They're like, that's not a good idea. So they rowed as hard as they could and tried to get back to dry land. They're like rowing. These are guys rowing like a rowing. They're going after it, but the sea was getting more and more tempestuous against them. It was coming harder. Therefore, they called out. They finally they gave up. They go, oh God, let us not perish for this man's life. See, all of a sudden, instead of Jonah talking to God, notice he hasn't prayed yet in this passage. Instead of Jonah talking to God, the unsaved people are talking to God. Don't let us die. For this joker. So they picked up Jonah. They built a little catapult quickly. And they hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And made vows. Unbelievable. So here we have. In this story starting with God wanting to pursue Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, the wicked place. Meantime, his prophet runs the other way. Notice this, that when you run from God, the storm doesn't just affect you, it affects all those around you and people that don't even know you sometimes. See what's happening? But even in that, even in that look what God is doing. He was drawing sailors to himself by Jonah's running. God is still sovereign over it and helping. He's pursuing the sailors through Jonah's running. Isn't that pretty cool? And he's about to pursue Jonah in a way that we would never expect. He pursues Jonah with a great big fish. The point is this. Our God is going to pursue us in extraordinary ways. Our God is going to pursue us in extraordinary ways that he will get the glory and that our attention will be back on him. He gives us mercy and grace to repent and turn back to him before he gets there. But if we don't, he and his loving kindness will do whatever it takes to grab a hold of us and get us back on course with him. We're all looking at this text here. We're all looking at this text, how stubborn Jonah is. And we're all screaming, just give up, man. But he doesn't. And so God even uses that. We see at the end of this, the men were fearing the Lord exceedingly. They were, fear doesn't mean like scared of the Lord, fear the reverence and awe, man. Like God controls the winds and the waves and the storm. God control, like God can make, that's unbelievable. They're they're fearing the Lord. They're even offering, they're even offering sacrifices and making vows. The thing Jodah should have been doing, the sailors are doing. Does this mean they were all saved? Maybe, maybe they all, this is the moment where the life-changing encounter with God. Maybe they're, like many of us, we have those moments of like, wow, it's so real. Get back on shore, you forget all about it. We don't know. But in this moment there, God used Jonah's life to turn and pursue the sailors so their eyes were off the things of this world and onto God for at least a momentary minute. And then God sends for Jonah 
Verse 17, we're going to get into this more next week, but a great fish to swallow him up. A place where he'd spend the next three days and three nights considering the full reality of who he was and who God was and what God's purposes were for his life. And it's probably better to be on God's plan than his plan. But as chapter 1, as verse 16 ends, here's what we think. We think, oh, this is pretty sweet. That's how God works, right? He, you run from God as his child. He's going to come down. He's going to smoke you. And he's going to throw you in the ocean. You'll never see you again, right? That's how God works, is it? Not at all. Just when you think all is hopeless and lost for Jonah, just when you think, well, I can't learn any more bad lessons from Jonah because he's taught me them all in this first chapter, we see something way bigger than Jonah come in. We see a whale come in. It's not even about the whale. We see God come in, and God pursued Jonah in a way that we would have never expected because he loves him so much, and he's going to rescue his people. He's always going to rescue his people who run from him to get them back on course. This is the greatness of the love and the mercy and the compassion of our God. Isn't this amazing? It's a picture of how God pursues his own, regardless of our own sinfulness, regardless of our own irrationality, regardless of our own person. God loves us enough to pursue us to the very end. I don't know about you, but this is good news for me. Because I relate to Jonah more than you think I should relate to Jonah. Because I know that I wouldn't even stand here today apart from God pursuing me over and over and over again. Sometimes not in comfortable ways, but just his pursuing hand. You can never escape the hand of God. This is what Jonah's teaching us. God's a pursuing God. He's pursuing Nineveh. He's pursuing the sailors. He's pursuing his own. God is always pursuing people that we might together see the glory of God and, and bask in this life and the next in the full reality of who God is. The character and the heart of our God. He never gives up. He never gives up on his own. And I don't know why Jonah said, just throw me in the ocean. Maybe he was at a place where he was like, I screwed up so bad that nothing can fix this, just toss me overboard. Maybe he felt so bad that he was running from God and he's like, oh my, give me what I deserve, throw me overboard. Maybe he was just his way of getting out of the mission. Great, throw me overboard, then I'm done. We don't know why he asked for overboard, but we do know this, that God didn't give up on him no matter what the reason was. It's a picture of God's grace to you. It's a picture of God's grace to me. It's a picture of God's grace to the world around us. As the poem says, God is the great hound of heaven. It speaks of Jonah's life. It speaks of our lives. British poet Francis Thompson wrote this down. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth ways. Yet still with with unhurrying chase and with unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy came on the following feet of my God. This is a God who pursues us. This is a God who never gives up on us. 
Whether you think you're like Jonah and screwed up too much, or you just deserve what you're going to get, or just end it all anyways because better to be doing something else than the mission God has for you, just know this, that God's never going to give up on your life if you're a child of God. And God will do whatever it takes to get you back on course for his purposes. He pursues you that you might see his glory and his grace like never before. How do we know this is true? How do we know this is true not just for Jonah, for me? Think of Jesus Christ. God doesn't just pursue Jonah with this fervor. Think of Jesus Christ. How did God show that he pursued us in the same way? God pursued us by sending his own son from heaven to earth. He pursued us by by making Jesus manifest here on this earth that he could live and die for our sins, that he would take my place on the cross. He would take my place. that I have an opportunity to repent of my sin and turn to him. God's pursued us with as much fervor or greater fervor than he ever pursued Jonah. He pursued us with Jesus. And for this, all we can do is stand back and say, wow, look at my God. Look at my God. And he's pursuing us today. He's pursuing us, this whole series of Jonah. Will we choose to surrender ourselves and get on God's plans and purposes for our lives? Or will we run? Will we run and do our own thing? We choose to reveal Jesus to the world through this life. We choose to live our lives for our fame and our name and our glory. We have a God who pursues us for his purposes. Will we be running to God or running from God in the days to come? Let me pray. Father, what an amazing picture of the character of our God. The character of who you are. God, I just want to stop and on behalf of our People here say, thank you for being a God who pursues. Thank you for being a God who doesn't give up on me in all of my craziness, in all of my sinfulness, in all of my waywardness. Thank you for being a God who's pursued me through Jesus Christ, who's brought me into your family, and who now has good plans and purposes for my life. God, I pray today that we would be a people collectively that would not just want to do church. We wouldn't want to just do our own thing. We, we would be people who would be collectively listening to the call of God, listening to the mission of God, and ready to follow wherever you call and whatever you ask and whenever you do, God. Would we be a people who are eager and anxious to fulfill your purposes for our lives and for those around us? God, would you make us people who learn from Jonah? May we be more like Jesus than Jonah, God, who is willing to say, not my will, but yours be done. God, would you use us to proclaim the wonderful truth, the amazing grace of Jesus to the world around us? Would you use us, God, to help others see the glory of the gospel for your name's sake? God, I pray today that if there's any here, they're physically here but spiritually running, God, would you stop them in their tracks today? Would you confront them with truth? Would you help them, Lord, in this moment to repent and come into the fullness of the arms of their Lord and Savior again? Thank you, God, that you don't let us get too far. 
Thank you that there's nowhere we can run from your presence. Do you manifest your presence upon us right now in this place? For your sake, amen.